Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast, powered by Evolve IP, hosted by Zach Anderson. Today, we'll explore the always evolving landscape of the IT, telephony, and communications channel. If you are a trusted advisor, strategist, IT consultant, or sales engineer, this one's for you. Today's guest is... All right. This is Channel Champions Podcast, Episode 9. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, Kevin Sullivan and I, who I will let you uh, do your intros here in just a second, but we were having a conversation a few weeks ago about DAZ, and uh, it was something I was working on for marketing materials that ended up turning into a full-blown conversation. And... um, I just felt like it'd be useful to turn it into a podcast. So um, again, a little bit different. You'll notice that uh, in the actual episode, I have no drums in the background. So don't freak out about that. But um, anyway, without further ado, Kevin, would you like to do your intro? Yeah. So first and foremost, uh, I, I love the the thought process there because I'm, I'm pretty sure a little bit different is going to be the eventual title of my autobiography someday, right? <laughs> Those words, among many others, have been used to describe me on very many occasions. Um, but for, for anybody out there, listeners that uh, I haven't had the pleasure of speaking with or meeting, uh, my name is Kevin Sullivan. I'm the Director of Solutions Engineering here at Evolve IP, really specifically focused on our compute practice. So desktop as a service, infrastructure as a service, business continuity, disaster recovery, and uh, all the pieces that go along with that. So I would say I'm looking forward to our conversation, but as Zach mentioned, that conversation happened uh, a week or, or several weeks ago at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, hopefully everybody out there uh, enjoys what we talk about. I think uh, Zach, if I remember correctly, it's a it's a myriad of um, you know different ways of looking at a, a DAS solution and really who a DAS solution can help. Um, and I think we, we covered a, a lot of great ground. And fortunately for us, Zach had the foresight to hit that record button before we started the conversation. That's right. Yeah, and and it was a great conversation. Um, and uh, I guess without further ado, we'll switch it over to the prior video of when we actually had the conversation. So uh, stay tuned and thanks so much for coming by. Yeah, take it away, Kevin and Zach. Okay. So if I am a channel partner or if I am an IT consultant company and I want to, you know, start looking into different desktop as a service opportunities, where do I start? Um, You know, who is the ideal sort of client profile, you know, based on company size, based on industry? I mean, what else would you be looking for to identify that that kind of client? Yeah, so it's a great question, Zach. And, and, you know, the good news here is that I'm going to kind of paraphrase Churchill, right? So some of the, the companies out there need all of what this solution can offer them, but every company out there, right, all the companies need some of what this solution can offer. So I don't know that there's necessarily any organization out there uh, for which desktop as a service isn't necessarily a fit from a technical perspective. So then it, get, it gets into what the non-technical consider, uh, considerations are that go into that as well, right? So, you know, there's a very easy case to be made for organizations like, uh, you know, financial services, mm-hmm. um, you know, healthcare, both ambulatory and non-ambulatory. So like clinic-based healthcare, um, hospital-based healthcare, um, you know, 
there are a lot of use cases where it makes sense for organizations that are in government, right? State, local education, the whole sled vertical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in some of those cases, certain providers may be better fits than others, right? So I know, especially here in Evolve IP, given our high trust certification that we've gone through, uh, financial services, banking, um, healthcare, legal, all of those tend to be really great fits, not just from a solution perspective, but from a provider perspective as well, right? They really mesh into the overall culture of our company and, and what we've done from a security compliance perspective and how we've designed our solutions. Um, that said, you know, like organizations that fall into that SLED category, right? State and local government education, um, even though they benefit from the, from the technology, those might not necessarily be a great fit for an Evolve IP because more often than not, those organizations have a lot of things they can do uh, with advanced discounting rates from direct providers like Microsoft, right? Like Microsoft has their own educational licensing, they have their own governmental licensing. Uh, and especially when it comes to state and local government, those organizations also may have specific nuanced compliance requirements that have a very like niche fit for them out in the market, right? So you might be talking to a municipal government that has a CGIS requirement, like criminal justice, hmm. uh, you know, housing court records, housing police records. Uh, you may be dealing with a, an organization that has DOD compliance requirements. So, you know, even though those organizations may benefit from a DAS solution, then it just becomes a matter of aligning that solution with the correct provider to meet the needs of that specific vertical. So based on the industry, so like healthcare versus manufacturing versus retail, do all of the, you know, does does desktop as a service offer the same benefits for each one or are the benefits different based on each vertical or is there some sort of correlation or is it, I mean, obviously it's not one size fits all, but I mean, are there similarities or differences? I mean, how does, you know, if I'm a technology consultant company, you know, um, how would I pursue each of the verticals um, specific to what they care about and how would DAS fit into that, I guess? Yeah. So it's an interesting question, right? And, you know, my view on it might be a little bit different than the way some of the partners see it themselves today. But to me, the underlying value prop, right, the benefits that a, a well-articulated, well-structured, strategically implemented DAS solution can offer a customer are relatively the same, right? Like what, what a solution can give you is pretty universal. I think where it becomes vertical specific is in finding a way to re-articulate that value prop that aligns specifically to the challenges that face that specific vertical, right? Like security is security, um, but the way a healthcare organization interprets security might be a little bit different than the way a banking organization interprets security, right? Because they're looking to secure different things. The manner in which their users interact with their data is a little bit different. Um, again, the compliance standards can be a little bit different for those organizations as well. So I think one of the big tricks to, to unlocking how to have those conversations is kind of understanding what those universal truths are, right? The benefits of security, mobility, productivity, and logistics, but finding ways to then hone that message to the specific recipient to whom you're speaking, right? So if I'm talking to a healthcare organization, I'm going to really dig into 
hey, you know, how can a DAS solution, right? How can taking where your your users, your doctors, your clinicians uh, are doing their work and bringing that into the data center directly where their EHR and EMR applications live, how does that help to secure them? How does that help to make that doctor's life easier? How can that help a clinician with going from room to room within a clinic and having their desktop follow them from a mobility perspective to make life easier? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, we talk to a banking or a credit union customer and then it's a very similar conversation, but with very different words used, right? Now we're not looking to protect your medical records, your EHR, your EMR. Now we're focused on, well, what's your core banking platform, right? Where does that live? Is that located in-house in your data center today? Or are you guys doing that outsourced with a Fiserv or a Jack Henry, right? And, and then understanding what what's the relationship between that system and then where your bank tellers are doing their work and how they function. So again, you know, maybe a little bit confusing here, but the benefits are, are universal. They're the same throughout all the different verticals that we talk to, but it's just finding a way to tell that story with terminology and verbiage that is specific to that vertical that can really help make it resonate with the person that you're talking to. Hmm. So the trend that everybody's talking about right now, obviously, is security. Um, and I think that there's, you know, based on the conversations that I've had with some partners, I think, you know, it's not so much that IT spend is going away significantly. I I think a bigger trend is that organizations are more cautious with how they spend their money, especially towards IT. You know, you know, when we, when we talk about all the things that happened with COVID and how that reshaped sort of the, the workforce and how organizations view their, uh, their IT organizations, um, you know, from a, are they a cost center? Are they a profit center? How are they, um, how are they adding value? Right. So, um, I mean, so like, as far as what's trending right now, hate to use that kind of vernacular, but security is a huge thing. Um, and you don't want to look for a security solution after you have a breach, right? So is there a way to use desktop as a service as a means of being proactive with regards to your IT staff? Um, you know, and, and is DAS a, a proactive solution in general with regards to security? Or, I mean, is there anything else that, you know, like, you know, why, why is DAS a priority and, and why should one be, you know, proactive in sort of introducing that to a customer base, for example. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, a, a lot to unpack there, Zach. Right, and, and and all good stuff, which is which is the the good thing. So, let me kind of work backwards, right? So, is DAS a proactive solution for enabling your IT department? Absolutely, right. And really, what DAS can be, and, and you'll hear me say a lot, a strategically implemented DAS solution, right? And it's really important that we understand what that means. That means. You know, we're not just looking to go out there and say, hey, DAS does client computing. I need client computing. I put DAS in. My clients do their computing through DAS. No, it's really understanding all the other different facets of IT that a DAS solution can touch and, and really what that means for an IT department's overall strategic approach to how they align all of their technology and deliver that to their users, how their users connect into the environment, how they secure the environment, their productivity standards, how they're provisioning devices. 
So to me, really what DAS is in that capacity is a force multiplier for your IT department. Right? It's really enabling you to do much more by centralizing where your management is done and bringing all of those resources that you're managing into that same central location. Right? So now just not, not only putting everything in one portal under one umbrella, but also bringing all those things that you're managing through that portal under the same roof as well. So you know, it's not just as easy as, hey, I have a portal now that I use to distribute my patching and my virus antivirus definitions to a thousand devices that are still scattered all over the country. No, now it's I have a portal that I use to deliver those things to a thousand virtual desktops that are also in that same data center that I'm already managing, securing, monitoring, uh, and so on. So, you know, I definitely think there's a a big case to be made there for how DAS can be, you know, a security and productivity tool that acts as that force multiplier for IT to be able to do a lot more with the tools and resources they already have. Um, you mentioned, you know, one thing that's near and dear to my heart, which is how do you assetize your IT department so that they're seen as less of a liability in the organization? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of conflicting thought, I think, out there in the industry about how organizations do that. But to me, you know, having been on the corporate side of IT before I got into the cloud side, um, I know what really worked for me was to shift IT's focus from that keeping the lights on work that, you know, no one in IT really seems to gravitate toward anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and getting IT more involved in the processes, procedures, um, and policies of an organization to, you know, help to shape the future there, right? How can we make things more efficient? How can we streamline them? How can we find ways of optimizing different applications, spearhead new initiatives, stay on top of emerging and current technology for ways that we can apply technology to help the business more in the future, as opposed to just maintaining the status quo with what we're doing now. So, yeah, that's a pretty lofty goal, right? But having a solution that then acts as that force multiplier to enable your IT department to more easily maintain the status quo, keep the lights on, you know, apply patches, apply updates, and make sure everyone's in and working effectively with the things that they already have, now frees up time for you to think about what that future looks like, right? To further develop what your organization's forward-looking IT roadmap might be so that we can find ways to optimize things in the future. And to me, that's where IT then shifts from being a cost center in in an organization to truly being an asset to that organization and has more of a seat at the table, um, you know, as far as shaping that business for the future. Um, You also also mentioned, sorry, Zach, um, on the budgetary side of things, Mm -hmm. I agree with you there, right? Partially, right? I, I, I do believe that IT budgets are decreasing going into 2023 in general, right? We're you know seeing the effects of a potential global recession, a current global recession, depending on you know whether you're you're red, blue, or somewhere in between. Um, but you know, it's no shock to to associate that with the fact that IT budgets, just like every budget, is is being somewhat diminished. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is despite the fact that the budgets are decreasing, Spending in particular in certain areas like security and like user experience mm-hmm. is still increasing. Mm-hmm. So what that tells me is those cuts are being made in other places with probably you know adopting new technologies that are you know specifically not security related, not user experience related. Mm. I wonder like I wonder what caused that shift to more of a I mean user user experience makes a ton of sense. Right. Like obviously organizations want a similar 
if not, uh, well, I guess similar is the right word, but, you know, organizations want to control what their employees are seeing so that the experience is the same across the organization so that, you know, everybody is aligned. Everybody has a strategic sort of view of, um, not only just the applications, but like, there's no, uh, ambiguity among, you know, among users or among employees using the technology that they're trying to implement. So I see the value there, but security, I mean, what, what happened, you know, like, um, have you turned on the nightly news within the last three years? <laughs> sure. I mean, but like you know, every single night we see breach after breach, ransomware attack after ransomware attack, and it's only increased, um, you know, over the last three years, uh, you know, for, for all of the, the headache and heartache that went into code from an IT perspective with mobilizing our workforce, you know, a lot of people moved heaven and earth to make that happen and got themselves to a position where all their users were able to effectively work. And it took a little bit of time, but now the, the bad actors out there now are starting to seize on that opportunity to, to take advantage of that scattered, you know, decentralized workforce and use the same tools that they're already using to start to, to prey on users and organizations. Because, you know, unfortunately, as an organization from a security perspective, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And mm-hmm. often that weakest link is, unfortunately, you know, just a, a small group of users in, in the organization that still will fall victim to things like a phishing attack or, you know, a, a ransomware attack that then just propagates into the rest of their organization. So I think a lot of it is, you know, us just seeing the the long-term after effects of, hey, we've now decentralized and mobilized our workforce and opened up a whole bunch of new threat vectors into our organizations that are being taken advantage of. So how do you start that conversation? You know, because if it, you know, me as a, as a salesperson, I don't want to start any conversation out of fear, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you don't do this, then this is going to happen, right? So what is a smarter way of, of having that conversation without selling the fear of not doing something, right? I mean, you know, I mean, when we talk about C-levels, I mean, executives, whomever, these folks are obviously smart, right? They know that there are security threats out there and they probably don't want to be talked to in that sort of way. Like if you don't do this then this is going to happen. So it's sort of like the question of like, how do you be proactive in, you know, introducing this idea of desktop as a service or even, or even a managed solution in general? Like, cause when you, when you go to a managed service versus doing like VDI on prem, you know, there's some control that you lose, right? So mm-hmm. you're losing some of that control as an organization or not, depending on the the provider. Um, but I mean, how do you have that conversation without that sense of like, of fear? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it's one that, you know, helping kind of figure out what the value prop and the marketing and the messaging around these types of solutions is for the last few years, I've struggled with too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of FUD, right? Going out there and sowing that fear, uncertainty and doubt. And I think you know, anybody who's been in sales for a long enough time hates the question of what keeps you up at night, right? Like mm-hmm. that stopped working 15, 20 years ago as a sales tactic. So I think it's really accentuating the positive, right? And focusing on the ways that the solution can help 
that security is then not an afterthought, but more of a secondary consideration, right? And if I run a position where I were a partner looking to go out there and engage with a, a customer or a prospect, um, one of the conversations that I would probably have with them would start something along the lines of, hey, you know, would you be interested in increasing your user experience and customer experience while simultaneously ensuring a higher degree of security in your organization? Right. So you start with the positive of, hey, what if we told you we could increase your CX and your UX? Right. And, and I think it's important to understand what those things are, right? Because you mentioned earlier kind of the, the universality of access, right? Everyone accesses their stuff the same way. So your users, now it doesn't matter if they're remote, if they're home, if they're in the office, if they're in a branch location, they access all of their resources the same way every day, regardless of device, regardless of location. But it's a little bit more than that too, right? Because now your user experience is really the first step toward providing a better customer experience too, if you're an organization that has your own customers. Because by better equipping your internal folks, you're putting them in a position where they can be more productive and that increase in productivity then trickles down to your customer base as well. Right? The easier I can make it for a call center agent to do their job, presumably the happier the folks who call into that call center will be because things are just more efficient, more productive. Mm -hmm. So I think if we focus on you know, how can a solution like DAZ or, or really any of the technical solutions that we want to offer help to improve that experience, right? How can they make your users' lives better, which can then in turn make your customers' lives better and do all of that while simultaneously putting you in a position to be more secure? You know, it's almost kind of like the, the compliment sandwich approach, right? Like mm -hmm. good thing, bad thing, good thing, right? We're going to help make your user environment. Uh, we're going to help make your users more productive. We're going to take away some of that uncertainty and doubt that goes around the security piece. And then we're going to make your customers happier at the end of the day. So do you think there is, you know, when an organization is talking to an MSP or any as a service provider, do you think there is a fear of losing that control where you're kind of putting, you know, like imagine you're a, a CISO, right? And you're responsible for the security of your organization. Um, do you think there is a fear there that when you go to a managed service or a managed solution that you lose some of that control? I mean, how has how does that shake out? I mean, and, and how, do, how has, you know, how have we, for example, overcome that, um, you know, how, how do you talk to that, right? Like, how do you talk to a CISO that's, that's worried about, like, I'm putting my organization into your hands, essentially? Yeah, I mean, I think like all things, right, it has to be a balance. Because to say that there's a risk of putting your security, your infrastructure in the hands of an external organization um, is accurate. But that's also in someone's hands today. Right. So then the question is, what happens if, hey, you know, I'm a CISO, I have a sysadmin who's rock solid, you know, most security conscientious person ever who's great with my customers, great with my users. Um, reliable, works pretty much 24-7, 365, and that person decides they're going to leave the organization in two weeks because another offer came along. Or, you know, maybe it's time for them to look into retiring. Uh, that now also exposes me to an equal, if not greater, amount of risk as that customer company to find a replacement for that person that can operate at that same level. So one of the things that is a benefit of working with a provider like an Evolve IP is that you have that consistency of a very deep 
uh, and very wide talent pool that's working on the back end to support those systems, right? You know, an, an MSP or a CSP isn't really single threaded in any of those roles. So you have at least that consistency of, you know, if someone in your organization decides to leave the organization, we're not looking to potentially replace that. Um, you know, there, there's always some risk involved, whether doing it in-house or whether doing it with a provider, but you also have the benefit of, you know, a wealth of experience through a myriad of different lenses, right? So a lot of folks who have different work experience across different verticals, um, they can also lend themselves to solving for specific issues and asks in the provider space as well. Whereas, you know, with your own team, as good as that team may be, you're locked into, you know, that team specific way of looking at things. So, you know, if you're a health organization, you really understand healthcare compliance, you really understand healthcare security, maybe you could benefit by looking at things through a financial services lens, right? That might expose some opportunity in there to do something different that you're not otherwise seeing today because you know, you're, you're limited to that specific vertical from which you've always worked with your team. So, you know, I think there, you know, there's certainly some risk involved, right? It's not easy to make that decision to outsource your IT to a cloud provider. Um, but I think, you know, some of that's mitigated through that additional experience, through those additional sets of eyes and hands that come in to, to help with carrying the load. And a lot of it, too, is making sure that you're working with a partner that's equipping you with the tools and access that you need to do whatever level of administration you want to do, right? So you can still have access into the environment. Yeah, you might not be necessarily dealing with the physical underlying hardware from an infrastructure perspective, but you can still leverage tools to have access to your virtual resources. You can still have tools to have access to uh, your network resources. You can still have the same level and degree of control if you want to, or at least you know, with our approach at Evolve, we're firm believers in giving folks access to the tools that we use to monitor and manage their environment when we do so. If for no other reason, then it gives them the ability to make sure we're holding up our end of the bargain. You know, let them see firsthand that we're doing the things that we're doing um, and doing so in the same tool set that we provide them access to. And that's really the that's really the quantifiable sort of data that you would look for as a C-level or really as any um, decision maker in this process, right? I mean, you look for those you know, sort of quantifiable data points where, and, and this, even for like a, like a partner, like an IT consultant company, right? Like you're, when you're looking at different suppliers for the same solution, you're looking for those, you know, you want to have confidence that when you're suggesting a supplier or two supplier, you know, whatever it is, these are the, you know, this is, this is the quantifiable data that says, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, putting, you know, trust into the supplier, right? So it's, it's sort of like, you know, what, what access and insight do you have into that? Um, maybe the implementation or just the ongoing, uh, the service or the delivery of the service of the solution is, is just the insight. Was that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, certainly from a quantifiable perspective, right? To me, that's everything that's like in the contract, right? That's things like SLAs, which are important. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, my, my view on this and, and on the other side, right, before I got into the cloud side of this as a consumer of these types of services was if I'm very focused on SLAs, we have a problem because an SLA is really going to only be, a, you know, in the worst case scenario, here's who's responsible for what. 
right? Like it's good to know that your uptime is 99.999, right? But the only time I'm worried about what your uptime SLA is if you're not up. <laughs> so, you know, from a quantifiable metrics perspective, yeah, that stuff's important. But to me, it's almost like the non-quantifiable pieces of it that are important in doing vendor selection, right? Who among the vendors available to me do I feel like I'm forming the best partnership with as opposed to transactional relationship with, right? Like I, I need to make sure that I view my vendor as an extension of my IT team. And honestly, from the vendor's perspective, you know, we're, we're a, a little bit selective there as well, right? We want to work with customers that we feel are a cultural fit and we can work with them and we can function as that extension of their team, which also makes them an extension of our team. So really ensuring that you have that strength of partnership um, and that, you know, there's a cultural fit there that things flow together and that you're collectively working to avoid problems before they become problems um, was always one of the most important criteria for evaluation for me um, on both sides of this, probably mm -hmm. more so on the customer side. Mm -hmm. Do you think all the like, you know, we talk about C-levels, we talk about managers, executives, you know. Do you think they all, I mean, I, I guess we can get into like the different drivers of the different C-levels and what they care about and how they, you know, work together. So I'm going to form that into a question. Um, what drivers do the C-levels share and where do they differ when it comes to, you know, selecting a vendor that provides a, a managed solution? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important for us to understand like the overall personas that are out there. Right? So at the C level, you know, we obviously have CEO, CFO, CIO, CISO, and then we kind of go, I won't even necessarily say down from there, but maybe parallel to there into IT director, IT manager, systems administrator. Um, the challenge is always is, right, organizations have different definitions for those roles. So I think at a high level, we can kind of understand what some of the differentiators between them are. So I think the further up the chain, right, you're really dealing a lot more with financial consideration um, and risk aversion. And then I feel like the risk aversion tends to increase while the financial consideration maybe decreases a little bit as we go down the stack. So, you know, a CEO is going to hopefully be very big picture oriented, right? So how does this overall put our organization in a better position without getting into the nuts and bolts of, you know, necessarily caring what the underlying user experience is or, you know, not needing to know anything about security other than the fact that my organization is secure and we're going to pass our audits without any issues, right? right. Because that's going to be the the CISO's job or the CIO's job underneath them. So once we get into those folks, yeah, they're going to be a little bit more detail oriented, but depending on the size of the organization, the structure of the company, they may still be big picture, right? They may be balancing a lot of different technical initiatives in that company or that organization. Um, so I think once we get to the CIO and CISO level, risk aversion usually becomes one of the leading um determining factors for them. That's that's usually what they're looking the most for, right? How is what I'm looking at from both a technology solution and a solution provider perspective going to ensure that my organization can effectively meet whatever compliance requirements we have, going to ensure that my organization overall is secure, and most importantly, is going to keep my organization off the nightly news where we're not up there being blasted for having had a breach and having to pay $25 million in ransom to some hacker in Russia, right? Yeah, you know, it's just the, the reality of, of 
kind of the way that role was viewed these days. So I think, you know, for those folks, it becomes very much a, a security conversation and very much a balancing act between risk aversion and spending, right? Understanding that, you know, budgets aren't infinite. So how can we get the absolute best positioning we can out of what we have available to us to spend? Once we take the next step from there, now we're kind of more at like the maybe the hybrid level between the IT director and the CIO down to the IT manager. Um, those folks are going to be much more solution oriented, right? They're going to want to understand the the value prop of the specific solution and how it will help their users, how it will make their IT department's lives better. Um, usually, the higher up you are in in those three roles. Like we talked about, how can my IT department be be made to be more of an asset to my organization than a potential cost center or a liability? Uh, and then, you know, the lower down we go, the more technical it tends to get in nature of you know wanting to really understand the the nuances of the the converse, uh, the nuances of the solution rather. Mm-hmm. Um, had something else pop in my head while I was talking there, and now for the life of me, I can't can't recall what it was, but there was a, a divergent track that I wanted to start down, and I'm now drawing a blank. I hate that. Oh, now I remember what it was. Okay. So another consideration that really, really factors in that in my appear, appear appearance, in my appearance, it's a combination of appearance and experience. <laughs> um, another factor that doesn't usually get talked about that much in my experience is, you know, when we're talking to an IT director or an IT manager, right? Historically, our industry has had a very bad habit of approaching technology and solutions as, hey, if you implement this new thing that I can offer you, you can cut your IT department by 50%. Mm. Um, I had a rule when I was an IT director myself um, that if any vendor ever approached me and was pitching their product to eliminate staff, I would end the conversation. Because, you know, I'm all about hearing the benefits that a solution can provide me and make my life easier and allow me to, you know, better understand and figure out how to utilize my people to the best of their abilities. But I always viewed it as no no third party had the right to come in to tell me that I could be, you know, reducing or letting go my staff. Um, it was just a sore spot, right? And it's a matter of personal preference. There might be some folks out there that that's what they want to hear. But I always looked at it on the provider side as, you know, you're walking into these organizations and for all you know, you're talking to an IT manager whose three best friends are his department and have worked with him for the last 40 years. And your pitch to open the conversation is going to be, hey, how would you like to fire two of your three best friends? Right. right. Like it's just it doesn't make sense to approach from that angle. Um, so I think it's it's really important for us to kind of understand you know, who we're talking to there, because you might have that conversation with the CEO or CFO and they're going to be all aboard. Like, yeah, like, let me let me figure out how to cut my IT budget by reducing staff. You have that conversation with an IT manager, an IT director who's probably doing everything in their power to hold on to as much budget as they can, knowing that they're going to need it somewhere. And you'll be having a very different and probably very brief conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and ultimately, you know, the goal is like organizations know you can't grow without a solid technology strategy. Um, so I think just, I don't even know why that would be a consideration, you know, just mostly cause I just don't, I wouldn't understand why you'd bring that as a value proposition. Like, you know, I, I, I don't think there's, there's any solutions out there that warrants like getting rid of your staff. Right. There's, well, you'd be surprised, right? A, a solution like DAS, right? We, we view it as, 
you know, I'm, we're very prescriptive in the language. Well, maybe I shouldn't even say we. I am very prescriptive in the language that I use to talk about how, you know, the values of a data solution can affect an organization. So I'll say things like, you know, a DAS solution allows you to streamline your management processes to, as we said earlier in the conversation, be a force multiplier for your IT department, right? It enables fewer people to accomplish more work. Some folks take that messaging as you can, uh, you can go out and purchase a DAS solution and you can reduce your IT headcount. Right. And I can understand how they draw those parallels. But to me, that's just not a decision that the vendor should ever be making on behalf of the customer. Right. If you can do more with less, what we're saying is you're freeing up your IT department to do other things, to get more involved in the company's policies, processes and procedures to make IT that asset that we want it to be in our organization. The negative view of that is, well, you can do more or less. So you need less IT. Mm. Hmm. That's well said. So, okay. It sounds like desktop as a service universally is a good fit for most organizations. In your experience, where would desktop as a service not be a great fit for an organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this to me is a tricky question um, because like we talked about Daz in some capacity can be useful for pretty much any organization that's out there. Um, Where I find organizations have challenges with approaching DAS is if they don't have any form of kind of universal user experience today, right? So you see this a lot in like secondary education, right? So universities, colleges, things like that, where the manner in which they use, uh, the manner in which their users work, right? Even the manner in which their IT departments function can sometimes be very fractured throughout a very large organization, right? So you talk to a university and you might not be talking to one IT department. You might be talking to seven, Mm -hmm. four, um, all of whom have drastically different requirements. And that's not to say that, you know, desktop as a service can't be a fit for still helping those entities within that larger university or organization. But usually there's just not a single track of thought around, you know, how we can apply this type of technology to that type of use case, right? Where DAS works best is where there is a defined series of use cases in an organization, right? So, you know, if I'm a financial services company, I know, hey, I have 30 folks who are my call center agents. I have, you know, 25 folks who are doing financial analysis on the background. I have five administrative staff, and then I have, you know, 15 people who are out there on the front lines offering our our specific financial services solutions as, you know, as a, from a sales perspective, um, that helps. So if an organization doesn't really have clearly defined roles and, and use cases in their environment, then that's always a struggle. The easier ones probably talk about the size of an organization, right? So if an organization is, is 100 seats or more, um, you can usually make a very compelling case for how DAS can help. Once they get below that number, I'd say, you know, if you're 50 to 100, probably still a very compelling story to tell. But once you get sub 50, then it becomes challenging from a cost perspective, if nothing else. Right. So, you know, DAS, when we look at it from a cost play or excuse me, when we look at DAS from a cost perspective, you can't look at it simply as, hey, if I take the cost of buying a new laptop, right, and I divide it by 36 because I have a three year um, hardware life cycle on it. Then I compare that to the cost of a DAS seat. I see DAS is more expensive. So the laptop's the right way to go. 
Well, that's not taking into account all the the soft cost analysis side of things, right? Like what can DAS give you in terms of um, reducing your support expenses, right? You see, you know, an up to sixty percent reduction in help desk costs with a, a VDI or a DAS solution. Um, what can DAS do to help from a, a soft cost reduction side on, on systems administration, where you can see a you know twenty to thirty percent reduction in costs? Uh, how can it help from a security perspective with device reclamation, right? You're not losing IT assets anymore. So all that to say, you know, if you look at DAS as a pure cost play, it's it's always going to look month to month more expensive than just replacing it with a device. But, you know, there's always a case to be made for how DAS can help an organization with those, you know, better administration, easier supportability, universal user experience, higher degree of productivity, um, reduced logistical concerns around provisioning and reclamation. There's also a piece of this too, from a financial perspective where look, you know, in reality, every time we spin up a location, a data center location where you're going to run DAS seats, there are some infrastructure components to it. So the way Evolve IP approaches that is, we actually separate the cost of those infrastructure components from the per seat costs that you pay for each user, just because it makes it a lot easier to look at, right? It becomes a lot easier to understand and interpret um, what that billing impact is of adding an additional user. So just for the sake of, of keeping you know nice, easy round numbers, let's just suppose for a moment that you know, that DAS infrastructure cost for, for spinning up all of the DAS requirements to run DAS in a data center is $500. And then let's say each user is $50 per month. Well, if we have 100 users at $50 per month and we add that $500 and we advertise that over those 50 users, it's not not that much of an impact, right? If we're a 10 user company and we have 10 users at $50 a month plus a $500 cost of, of that underlying infrastructure, now each of those seats cost double what it actually should cost. So it becomes a lot easier to amortize those, you know, per location, per data center infrastructure components that are needed as an organization scales up. Now, usually once you're, you know, north of 50 users, that math starts to make a lot more sense. But when you're you're you know much lower than that, then it usually doesn't end up being financially fruitful. Right. And then it kind of goes against the whole conversation that we had around a cost center versus profit center. Right. So when you have, you know, yes, obviously you're going to compare the per month DAS seat versus, you know, a one time fee of a laptop. And that's just not really the conversation. Now, with that laptop, you're taking your IT staff away from, you know, uh, sort of, you know, what you like the strategic goals that you want them to work on. And now they're spending their time provisioning laptops and patching and all this other stuff. And so it's like, it, it circles back to that conversation of like, what do you really want your IT staff to be doing? And if it's not, you know, spending their time provisioning and, um, you know, sort of, obviously there's some keeping the lights on in there, obviously, but you know, again, when you're talking to them and you really want to see what their future goals are, if it's to scale up or it's to, you know, enhance their, um, you know, technology stack in general, you know, provisioning laptops is not what you want them to be doing. Right. And again, yeah. that's, that's not to say you don't need to have an IT staff. It's to say like, you know, you hire this talented team of IT professionals to enhance the future of your organization technologically um, and not, you know, necessarily keeping the lights on. So, 
Yeah, and, and that that kind of brings to mind to me one of my favorite use cases of this, right? Which is how DAS can help M&A driven organizations, right? If you're a company that's growing through mergers and acquisitions, how awesome is it if you're an IT director or a CIO and you can run up the chain to your CEO or CFO and say, hey, look, I know, you know we're looking to, to merge with or acquire a bunch of new practices, new businesses, new partners, whatever, in the next year, two years, three years. I can now give you a predictable cost model for exactly on a per user basis what bringing those organizations into the fold would be. Right. You know, we can we could eliminate so much uncertainty around what what that acquisition cost looks like from a technology perspective. And not only can we make it easier financially, but we can actually expedite the process now, too. Right. We don't have to worry about migrating those folks into our environment over the course of months. We can literally spin up desktops and have them working on our platform as we already have it designed and structured and everything else by tomorrow. So, yeah, I, I love like. You know, not only is that a really good technical and compelling story and use case, but also a great use case around, again, how we now assetize that IT department. Well, they can now be you know, the, the champions of their organization of, hey, look how easy these guys made it for us to go out and acquire new businesses. Right. IT has now enabled our growth and you know, exponentially increased how quickly we can bring new new M&A targets to bear. Hmm. Sounds compelling to me. I'm sold. <laughs> Um, okay. Gosh, um, I can't, I mean, we covered a lot there and not in any particular order, but I don't know if any of it was useful. It's a, a lot of it. I mean, yeah, this is great. Um, I couldn't tell you what we talked about. It's all just kind of a blur. Mm-hmm. I'm going to figure out how to make this into a step-by-step sort of thing, or maybe not. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's just a, an episode sort of thing. You want to learn how to, you know, start having, start having the conversation around DAS. I mean, here it is, you know, um, we talked about security. We, we hit on ROI for sure. Um, I suppose we could get into like, you know, organizations that already like already have a VD an on-prem VDI set up. It's re-articulating a lot of the conversation we already had about the security. Yeah. Like, right? Yeah. Like, what happens when that person leaves the organization? Like, you have one or two people that are your go to IT person yeah. um, who administer your VDI environment. And, you know, what if they get a better job tomorrow? What if right. they retire tomorrow? What if they get hit by a bus on their way out to work? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really, there's, to me, there's an equal amount of risk in doing that versus the risk of working with a provider who specializes in that. Right. And, you know, if anything, the, the, I, I hate the phrase, but what is it? The great resignation or mm-hmm. calling it in the last year and a half. Right. Um, that really underscored the importance of some of that. Right. Because now so many organizations saw brain drain, especially in, in the IT space where they're relied upon employees who did things like, you know, manage their internal security, manage their internal VDI solution, um, help administer their desktop solutions left the organization and left that organization in a somewhat debilitated state for a period of time, right? Mm-hmm. We just got through probably one of the most disruptive things that all of us have seen in our professional careers with the, the hybridization of the workforce as a result of COVID. And then immediately following that, the people who got us to the point of like, okay, we're working again, said, you know, I'm going to pick up and go to another organization now. And 
you know, now you're left trying to scramble and pick up the pieces and figure out what the right fit is to continue to manage, monitor, and administer that environment. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a case to be made for, you know, we talk a lot about hybrid and remote workforces and why there's obvious benefits for a DAS solution, but I guess what are the benefits for a DAS solution where folks are in the office? So they're twofold. Um, first and foremost, all of the same streamlining of administrative processes and ease of you know administering and supporting that environment are true regardless of where your users are, right? So if your users are in the office, it still becomes easier to support them, um, easier to optimize their experience with a DAS solution than with a traditional client solution. Um, you still get out of having to worry about hardware refresh cycles and replacing the underlying client devices they're connecting from. The bigger one to me is, look, you know, it's great for organizations that want to bring folks back into the office full time or in a limited capacity. But even the most staunch supporters of in-office work have to have some form of a plan for what happens if we go through all of this again. Right. I don't even like to think about it. I don't even like to, to you know, risk speaking it into existence. But what happens if at the end of May 2023, you know, the CDC sends out an email saying, oh, there's a new strain of COVID-19 that is highly contagious and we have to you know, socially distance again for two weeks to flatten the curve, mm-hmm. right? Organizations that have made that move to bring all their people in-house still need a technology solution that enables them to become a hybrid workforce should the need to arise. And this has created a new need that I think is going to be there you know, as, as part of our IT solutions for every organization for the rest of time. As long as businesses continue to function, they're going to have to have some form of a contingency plan for this, just like we've always had for business continuity and disaster recovery with things like fire, floods, storms, earthquakes. Um, you know, Now, workforce hybridization is just one more item on that list. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a insurance policy sure yeah yeah that's a good way to look at it i mean hmm. cool um anything else you want to touch on that we missed do you feel like you hit home on your sort of like security enablement um no i don't really think we actually talked much about much about that at all um but maybe that could be a a separate conversation uh, just to give you even more stuff to have in the can if you want it Um, That that can probably be its own conversation of equal length to this, right? Talk about zero trust, why folks are moving to zero trust, how this helps to enable that, how you can't just walk into, you know, Target or Best Buy and buy zero trust off the shelf. Mm. Um, I just think there's probably a, a longer and valuable conversation we have there.